I'm Danny. And this is episode 53 of Fried Squirms. Yeah, so we're back. And we had mentioned last episode, had we been doing it weekly, this would officially be, the, I guess, the first episode of a new year. Right. But it's the second episode of a new year for us. Of the literal new year. <laughs> yeah, well, Otherwise, yeah. it's a couple months past what our actual year oh, is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this episode for a lot of reasons, and it's going to be really fun to talk about. Oh my god, I am too. I'm really excited. So this week we are covering the movie Ravenous mm, from dude. 1999. 1999. Not that there's a 2017 Ravenous there is. now, right? That's yeah. a zombie movie. This one isn't a zombie. Yeah, this movie. is definitely not a zombie film. Of, well, maybe a little bit. Mm, nah, nah. I wouldn't get no. I don't want to say. That. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll say it. We're yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Let's get into it, right? Like, do, do yeah. you have anything you want to? I mean, no. I know we mentioned you know some of the things we do. Throughout our weeks, you know, leading up to our review. But no, the only thing I really did of note, I suppose, is I uh, took in Assault on Precinct 13. Okay. So I got to go back and watch that. So if anyone has Shudder out there, it's available on Shudder. So yeah, I did that and I did a little investigating on different streaming services. And I found that there's a, a nice stash of horror films available, like some really good ones too. So I added a lot of those to my lists for further viewing. But that's about it, really. Just caught some football games and chilled out, you know? Man, I feel so bad for how little I get on Shudder for the fact that I pay for the fucking thing, Yeah, that it's awesome, and that I'm a co-host on a horror podcast that you're currently <laughs> listening to. No, I think, too, I was like, I got a Roku not too long ago, and I needed to at least take advantage of it, and Shudder's available through the Roku, so I'm like, yes. See, I, my biggest problem right now is I don't think that they currently have an app for Xbox. Yeah, I, think I the do same most of my watching on my Xbox. And that's completely understandable. I actually really don't like watching on my computer whenever I can. I'm kind of the same way. I don't really watch a lot of stuff on my computer. Because otherwise, that's the only other option right now. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think that's my only other option right now as to how I would watch my Shutter. But I do recommend Shutter. Like, I do too. It's, we're not being paid by them, but no. we do pay them because we appreciate their service. I so. enjoy it, and there's a lot of really cool films. I mean, outside of just horror, you get giallos and all kinds of cool shit. Uh, yeah, I've been really impressed. And there has been a couple films. We don't always remember to mention it, but mm-hmm. like when we watched Henry, it was up yeah. on Shutter. So exactly. I well, think it probably still is. I think you're right. I was looking at how many I had in my playlist for Shudder, and no exaggeration, I think I have 96 films. Damn, son. Yeah, I was like, man, all these that films are like really good. sounds like my fucking Netflix list, son. Yeah, and I mean, they're solid, too. They're not like just, it's like, oh, this is a rainy day. No, this is a solid film for any day of the week. I'm now thinking about it, and I also feel really bad about how few horror films are on my Netflix queue. <laughs> I, you know, I'm kind of guilty of that with Netflix, but there's other streaming services I'm really impressed with. Oh, there was... I oh, did there's see, kind of some I big news, I did see yeah. one piece of... I think you just saw my screen, and that's not actually yeah. what I was going to talk about. That was something I was just going to investigate for myself. Right. Well, that's uh, but there was one relevant. piece of news that I thought was really funny. I just wanted to bring up. We're getting a Tales from the Hood sequel. Nice, dude. Hey, no knock in that film, because that shit's good. It is kind of funny. From the original director. Yeah? Yeah. Nice, man. That'll be fun. Over 20 years later, sequel's currently in development, and I think tweeted out, a tweet that's now been deleted about scouting locations in New Orleans. Awesome. So I would imagine maybe some voodoo? Yeah, maybe. Yeah? That's cool, though. Uh, yeah. I dude. thought it was kind of funny, too. I'm like, fucking Tales from the Hood, really? All right, I'm I down. I'm down. I include that in one of my playlists. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's either Showtime or Stars. one of the two has that. Yeah, so 
Awesome, dude. That's good news. I think the other one that you were looking at, I think is worth mentioning, too, because it's supposed to get a Blu-ray and DVD release on the 9th. So tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah, for us. So technically, a week last after week. you hear this? <laughs> yeah. But for us, it's big news because it's releases tomorrow. Yeah, which I'm going to buy it. I didn't realize. I definitely want to get a copy. Tomorrow. So I'm buying it. I know that there's a couple deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I want to be able to talk about it because I really, really, really fucking dug I like that watching movie. all the commentaries and making of, so that'll be fun to watch too. Yeah, so that just came out a week ago when you're listening to this. So Yeah, so by then, uh, hopefully you got a copy. Yeah, go get the new it because we're going to. That's about all I have from this week. Yeah, that catches me up to speed. Well, I mean, my football team has a head coach again, and his nickname is Chucky, so that yeah, counts, so right? if you're familiar, yeah, that's horror-related. Right? John Chucky. Gruden is the coach of the Raiders again, and... Congratulations. He does look a bit like Chucky. Yeah, and he has fun with that, too. I think he owns it. Uh, yeah, I think he owns everything. That guy's kind of a... Yeah, I'm excited for that franchise that's gonna be fun it's good yeah it's gonna be a good time you know i'm excited oh, let's move on let's get into the horror this is what did we say episode 50 number 53 ravenous let's get into the guts and bolts talk about who went into the making of this movie guts and bolts guts and bolts all right guts and bolts mm, up and in again Mmm, such tasty, tasty guts, too. Yes. Uh, maybe treats? we'll start with a synopsis. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right, so Ravenous... Let me see. How would I do this? I don't want to give away too much of it yet. So Ravenous is the story of a man who, after a cowardly act of unwilling cannibalism, <laughs> is stationed in bumfuck nowhere... And things start getting bloody, and he becomes rather unsure of himself when a stranger arrives. Yes, I think it's as minimal as that was. I think that's a very good synopsis. And I really like this movie. Oh my gosh, man. I am super stoked that we chose to do this film. And it's one that we have mentioned several times on the podcast, so what better way to kick it off? Right, exactly. So, as we already said, Names are Ravenous, 1999. This one has several countries to its credit. It has a cast of people from the United States and from the United Kingdom. I believe parts of this film are also shot in Mexico and parts of Slovakia. And it also has connections to the Czech Republic as well. So this is a multicultural film. Which, from what I understand, a lot of the time, when you see, like awesome wood scenes in movies a lot of the times it's in slovakia or the czech republic because i guess they offer great tax incentives for shooting over there i would imagine so i mean and it passes i mean it looks like the northwest like it does when you look at the mountain ranges and even in the uh, the forest scenes yeah i know that that's like the woods in like underworld 2 those were all actually outside of prague that's pretty awesome who wouldn't want to spend some time over there? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I know some people over there, too. Let's go to the Czech Republic, dude. I'm down. I'm totes right. down. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, like you were saying, a bunch of different countries, a bunch of different people, directed by... Antonia Bird. And it's interesting how she got involved with this project. She wasn't the first choice of director. She wasn't even the second choice of director. Right. So initially, Milcho Manchevsky, he's a Macedonian film director, 
And he's known for creating like these very beautiful textural films, very heavy on the themes. So he was the initial director, but he was having constant struggles, primarily with, I think it was one of the executives of 20th Century Fox. Okay. And because of that struggle, she, the executive, brought on another director to oust Manchevsky. And that director is Raja Gosnell. And he was known for doing a lot of comedies. He did like Big Mama's House. Oh, and shit. I, I looked at some of his other credits, but a lot of them are comedies. Right. right? So I can understand maybe why she wanted to bring him on yeah. for that, that kind of bent. Um, but anyhow, the cast did not like Gosnell. They didn't like his direction. They didn't like the fact that he was overtaking that project. It just so happens that one of our main actors worked a lot with Antonia Bird. And recommended her to be the director. Now, here's something that's really interesting without getting too nerdy. She only had a week to prep for this whole fucking movie. Wow. Script everything. Wow. So keep that in mind that she had one week to prepare for everything. Like that's locations, how to shoot the film, etc. So yeah, that's how she got involved with this project. Now, not to skip over too many credits, but right. you did mention that it was a cast member that got her involved. So we might as well just move over for a minute to just Robert Carlyle. Yeah. So that's a big draw to this film. It's a huge draw, Robert Carlyle. I know him from the Fulmani. I do too. That was the first thing <laughs> I'd ever seen him in. I was starting to get back into British films in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that was one film. I was like, you know what? Let me check this out. And I, I fucking love that movie. Not only that, but that's also where I was introduced to Robert Baratheon. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm There's... always like, ah, uh, people are like, oh man, like, oh, this guy's really good in the first season or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I've been a fan of his for a while. Like, oh, where did you see him? Like, oh, full money. There's another <laughs> actor who I think I might have been introduced maybe a little bit more formally in that movie too, was Tom Wilkinson. Man, he's been in some really interesting films too. Oh, Tom Wilkinson's too. great, yeah. I mean, I was going to point out though with Robert Carlyle, like, I've never seen the movie, but I mean, as far as like critical acclaim goes, like he's in Train Spotting, isn't he? Yeah, he's in Train Spotting. So. I've seen Train Spotting. He's in the movie The Beach. So if you want a good Leonardo DiCaprio film, and uh, I remember Tell the, the world is not enough. Yeah, he certainly is. You were right about the Train Spotting. He was in the uh, second one too, the newer one that came mm-hmm. out. He was in Twenty Eight Weeks Later. So if you're familiar with that franchise, he was in that. Which, I mean, we probably should have brought that up sooner, considering this is a fucking horror podcast. Yeah, but still, I think the other film credits are just as heavy, you know, because he's he's heavily involved. But I think people will probably recognize him for his the characters that he portrays in films. He's a very well-developed character actor. I mean, he fucking nails his roles. But yeah, there's a lot of the films that I'm familiar with him. And the reason he chose Antonia Bird or recommended her is because he worked in several projects with her. Uh, Priest, I know. Yes, and a movie called Face right before this movie came out. But he had credited her with the fact that he wasn't getting a lot of roles early on in his career, and she had a lot of faith in him, so she cast him in in a lot of her films, and that kind of got him a lot more confidence and a lot more roles. And Anyhow, I think they went on to become partners in the industry, too. Oh, okay. Uh, but unfortunately, once again, on our podcast, we run into people who pass. And she oh, yeah. passed. She passed kind of young, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She sure did. And uh, she passed on October 24th, 2013. So unfortunately, she's no longer around with us. But it's really cool. It just so happens to have Robert Carlyle on. And I think she does a fucking brilliant job on this film. 
Yeah, now so we skip down to the cast, but there's a couple other behind the scenes that we should probably. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely get back to the cast, but I mean, just because that was a direct tie, we couldn't mm-hmm. help but mention him. Our writer on this film is actually an interesting character too. His name is Ted Griffin, and a lot of his works are really well done. He's helped write for Ocean's Eleven, the film Matchstick Men. Yeah. Another great movie. I yeah. love Matchstick Men. That's a good movie. There's a series, I think a television series he does his name. It's called Terriers, so that's a more recent project that he works on. And another called Killers. So those are some of his major projects that he's worked on. But during the time period where they had Manchevsky on this film, he was literally on set to do rewrites for almost every fucking scene. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so big credit to this writer because I think he nails it out of the ballpark. The dialogue is really solid, so... He's got a heavy hand in the direction this film went in. All right, so moving on from uh, Ted Griffin, we have Cinematographer, which is another name we should definitely mention. And this is Anthony B. Richmond. And the reason being is because we've actually talked about this person before when we reviewed the film Candyman. Oh, shit. Candyman? Really? Same cinematographer? Okay. Yeah, so I can see that definitely when you're watching this film. I know we've mentioned him before, but I do want to mention some of the projects, once again, that he's involved in. And one of the films that I'm really impressed with is a David Bowie film called The Man Who Fell to Earth. And that is an awesome film. It's really impressive. He's also worked on one of my favorite childhood films, believe it or not, is The Sandlot. Cinematographer for that. Sandlot's amazing. He was also a cinematographer for Legally Blonde. 2001's masterpiece. There's another one. He's (laughs) talked about Rain Wilson with The Rocker, so that's another tie-in. Here's a complete full circle within the last, then what, 10 minutes? You mentioned Tales from the Hood. Guess who the cinematographer was on that film? Was it? This gentleman. Nice. So Anthony B. Richmond was a cinematographer on Tales from the Hood. So it would be interesting to see if they bring him back. Yeah, so. Who's next? We our got... editor I have on this film is Neil Farrell, and uh, he's done some really cool shit, man. He was the assistant director on the 1978 Superman and the 1982 Gandhi. I know we've mentioned both those movies several times. He was also the editor for the film Sleuth, Cockneys vs. Zombies, Mindhunters, I love and Cockneys vs. Zombies. Yes. We are definitely going to cover that movie at some is point. Brilliant. So fucking So funny. British. <laughs> oh so my Cockney. God. If you're like tired of zombies and you want to see a good zombie comedy, it's really good. Hit that up. That's some good shit. Yeah, it's got some really good characters too in that film. Yeah, so Neil Farrell is known for those films. Our music is really something I want to talk about. So I was going to say there was, I had two moments. I didn't look up anything about the film beforehand. Now I have seen this movie a number of times, but it's been mostly in like my teen years. I've seen it maybe once or twice in my 20s, but I probably saw it a good like 15 times between the ages of like 13 and 18. I can completely understand that. And I wasn't quite putting all these... These connections. These connections together yet. And as I just turned on the movie, I was sitting there and I had two moments in the opening credits where I was like, oh my God, really? And oh my God, really? This was one of them. Music by Damon Albarn. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with that name, we'll throw two names in music that you're probably familiar with. I'll mention the first one because I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Blur, and he's a front man for Blur. And if you're not familiar with Blur, you might go with who I'm a big fan of, Gorillaz. Yeah. So those are two major projects that he's involved with in. And if I'm not mistaken, I heard that he was involved with 60% of the music direction in this film. So, I mean, when you look at the soundtrack of a lot of films, you're going to find a lot of tracks either done by Blur or by Gorillaz or by himself. So it's a testament 
to have him involved on this project, man, because he's a big name in music. He's still relevant. He'll always be relevant, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, even during that 90s explosion of Brit pop or Brit music in general with Oasis and Blur, and then you had all these other bands that come in behind it. Like I said, he's still super relevant, man, making brilliant music. The other person involved, too, which is actually a pretty big name as well on this project, is Michael Nyman. And he's known for his work as far as composing music on the film The Piano, film Gattaca, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. Gattaca! Now, here's one I wanted to mention, too. It is a film, but it's a documentary, and it's one I highly recommend. If you want a, just an amazing human story, is Man on Wire. He composed the music for that documentary, and Man mm. on Wire is about a French stuntman, acrobat, juggler. He's just a street performer. He was the first and only person to walk between the World Trade Centers on a wire. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's the documentaries about how he accomplished that and how he pulled it off. And it's, I'd say it's probably my favorite documentary of all time, as of right now. If only he would have fucking strung up an airplane sensor oh while he was up there. gosh, man. Oh, that story is so unbelievable, man. It, it's remarkable. So yes, Michael Nyman was involved with the music for that documentary. So those are two huge names for this music. And you can tell. And it's really interesting how they use the music in this film. Oh, and it brought a whole new layer to it for me to realize yes. Damon Albarn was involved. Was like, and it just so awesome. And then I realized how much they used the fucking music in this movie. And I do want to, I mean, we're talking about it right now. Yeah. So I was going to save this for the How Did It Make You Squeal. We can but, spoil it a little bit. Well, it wasn't even spoiler. I love the. Yeah. I love the music in this movie for the most part, but it's extremely repetitive. Yes, and I feel that that was done maybe intentionally. I think it was done intentionally, but there was at times where I was just like, <laughs> uh, and they bring it to the foreground so often. Yeah. Like yeah. they really ratchet up. If nothing's going on between the characters, they ratchet up that soundtrack. Like, they do. They make sure to fill that noise space with something. There's not many times in this movie where it's... You don't have anything audible. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, if the characters aren't doing something, 90% of the time, they just bring that soundtrack straight to the foreground. Oh my gosh. There's going to be several moments (laughs) where sound plays an important part in this film. (laughs) So, yeah, moving on from our music composer, our producers are on this film, are several people, and I do want to mention a couple of projects that they were involved with, because some of them are pretty impressive, too. Adam Fields is one of the executive producers on this film, and he helped produce films like Johnny Be Good, which has a real young Robert Downey Jr., really young Uma Thurman. So we helped produce that film, Money Train, which is pretty funny because we have talked about J-Lo, and we right. have talked about Wesley Snipes several times. And Donnie Darko, one of my favorite films oh, dude, of the 2000s. Darko's great. Oh, I can love it. Another one is really interesting is Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. He was oh. involved with that project as well. The other executive producer was David Heyman, and he worked on Juice, which is a really cool film. Oh, shit. Um, one of my favorite stoner comedies from the 90s is a film called The Stoned Age. I saw that It's a really once. cultish film. I don't remember it that well. Yeah, it's definitely worth revisiting. <laughs> that was one I saw in high school, man. It's really funny. He's also worked on, I want to say, almost all the Harry Potter films. Oh, okay. So he's a producer. So that's like an above-the-line cut. So he gets percentages. Oh, you know he does. So if he's been on all the Harry Potters, then you're telling me this dude is worth... Oh, yeah. He, he's made bank. A nice penny. Yeah. 
for sure. <laughs> nice shiny penny. That's what you just told me, is yeah. that if we're going to rob one of these motherfuckers. <laughs> well, we got his name. That's all we need to know. Yeah, the film I was going to mention was uh, I Am Legend. So oh, that was, okay. you know, one that's been done I don't know how many times. And the film Gravity. So those are some of his major projects. And the producer on this film is Tim Van Rellum. And some of the films he's done are, some are cool, some are kind of but they're worth mentioning. There was a film called K2 that he was involved with, A Knight's Tale, which involves... Oh, Robert Brathian again. Yeah, so you have Robert Brathian. <laughs> you have... And you have uh, Vision. You have the Joker. Yes. And you have Wash. So there you go. <laughs> we we talked about Alan Tudyk, and he's in, yeah. the, in that film. He talked about Joker, Heath Ledger. So I really like that film a lot, man. I really oh, like. And you have Solomon Kane. Yeah. Oh, who else is in that movie? There's a lot of fucking people in that film, man. It's really uh, funny. And the chick from Wrist Cutters. Yeah, Shannon Sossman. There we go. Yeah, dude. Her sister is in a really cool band. I like a lot too. But anywho, he was also a producer in the live action version of a anime series I really really enjoy so if you're familiar with the movie Dragon Ball Evolution oh so the he's involved with one of the worst cinematic abortions ever yeah so you can go ahead and just pluck that thing out with a hanger (laughs) (laughs) so yeah these gentlemen were all involved as producers on this film our production companies there's quite several 20th Century Fox is going to get shown a lot there was ETIC Films, Engulf and Devour Productions Incorporated, Fox, 2000 Pictures, and Heyday Films. Our distributors were 20th Century Fox for the 1999 USA theatrical release, and 20th Century Fox for the 1999 UK theatrical release. Shout Factory released a 2014 US version Blu-ray and DVD copy of this film, which I wouldn't mind having a copy of. Our special effects our computer film company and Digiscope, they help with a digital title sequence. You had K&B, which is a huge name in special effects. Oh, no shit, K&B was involved? Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Bergman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They helped with the prosthetics in this film, and Peerless Camera Company helped with the digital effects in this film. The budget was estimated around $12 million. Opening weekend, it made a little over a million, like... Oh yeah, so Didn't this movie huge, bombed. Yeah, it had a it shot the bed. It was a in twelve the million budget. Yeah, and only made a total of what like a little over two million. A little over two total. By the end of May of uh, well, not by the end of May, early May, uh, nineteen ninety nine, it only made two million back. But since then, it's got like this huge cult following, and for now, for I'm not good sure reason. if I would say it's got a huge cult following. Uh, not necessarily huge, but it does have a cult following. I was actually kind of surprised when I saw that. Like, it's rated as well as it is on, like, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And that Wikipedia lists it as having a cult following. Because I feel like this is still one of those movies I have to tell people about. Like It's a really good point because it is one of those that gets kind of swept under the table for whatever reasons. I feel like Frailty kind of falls in that category mm-hmm. as well. Maybe not quite as prominently, but... I have a couple ideas why this might have sort of went under the the radar table, under the radar a little bit. But I want to get to that a little bit more in the how does that make you squeal? But you're right about that, and you're right about box office returns kind of showing that as well. Now I'd be curious to see what it's made on video in the years since, if it has that favorable of a rating from viewers and not critics. I mean, uh, all I read is positive things for the most part about this film. And I mean, I'll admit, like I tried pirating it. 
and the pirated copy I got was bullshit. So I was like, fuck it. So, I mean, I rented it. I paid yeah. money for it on Amazon. Like, they're still making returns right now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's, I think it's a good film to kind of bring back to relevance. Its release date officially was March 19, 1999 here in the States. It did get its premiere March 16, 1999. I think at a few film festivals prior to, to that official release in the States. It also got a September 10th, 1999 release in the United Kingdom and Ireland. There's a couple of taglines for this film, right? So knowing that this film was called Ravenous, we didn't give too much away about its plot. I'll try to reserve a little bit, but... Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. We, okay. I mean, because we're about to give a warning anyway, and this movie involves cannibalism. So Yeah, so keep that in mind, because there's a couple of references to that in these taglines. The first one is, you are who you eat. Okay. Second one is Bon Appetit. And the third one is Get a Taste for Terror. Yeah. Okay. Not the worst. Kind of generic for a cannibal there movie, but not bad. There was at least one of those that gets directly quoted in the film. Yeah. Anywho, yeah. So those are our taglines, and that kind of rounds out our behind the scenes. We did mention one person in the cast, so I guess we can mention the rest now. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to be kind of a draw... In itself, I like this cast. This is a stellar cast. When you Uh, look at it round out wise, like it's stellar. So we mentioned Robert Carlyle, and he plays F.W. Calhoun in this film. Probably our next biggest draw, I would imagine, is Guy Pierce. I mean, let me check my tattoo to see if I remember that correctly. I had to look in the mirror. I I got it. You got it back. (laughs) Mementos. I was gonna say, yeah, you can thank Memento for that one because. Now, I don't have any tattoos, but that would be the first one. <laughs> Memento. <laughs> right on my back. Or you might know him from fucking a bunch of shit. LA like Confidential I... was, I think, his first really breakthrough role. And that I don't is know, man. Casting. Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. He was in The Hurt Locker, which is a brilliant film. Iron Man 3. Yeah, we mentioned Robert Downey. He was in The King's Speech. He was in a film called Rover and Prometheus. And I believe he was maybe in a little bit of Alien Covenant that just came out as well. I want to say probably since the late 90s, his film credits have like exploded. And for good reason, man. He's a really, really good actor. And I enjoy most of all the films that he's been in. But he plays our Captain John Boyd, and he is our main focal character in this yeah, film. Yeah, he's our main character. There's nothing wrong with his performance in this movie. It's just that it doesn't stand out as much as some of his others. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you stack them up, I mean, he still does a great job in this film, but it's not his, like, it's not his best. It's not a memorable character. Not necessarily. Not not as much as, like, Robert Carlyle's character. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And his character for several reasons. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so moving on from Guy Pearce, one person we've talked about before, and I love talking about this person any chance we get, is David Arquette. God damn it. <laughs> no, he doesn't have a major role in this film. No, Not he necessarily. But he does have a comedic character. And I was like, man, if it was Tyler and I, it would have been perfect for us. Oh, yeah. I could have played David Arquette's role in this movie. I would have loved to. Probably as fun. well as David Arquette. Yeah. And he's perfect for it. But he plays Private Cleves. And speaking of David Arquette, we mentioned the film Scream on our slasher. So run. I was going to ask, like, was it a thing that they were trying to make him, like, a horror movie guy at one point. In it's the a possibility. 90s, like after Scream, because then he came back sure. in the sequels. Yeah, using this Eight Legged Freaks. Yeah, like are they trying to make him a horror movie guy. Well, I think even later on he wound up doing like a film called Riding the Bullet, which is horror. He's even done stuff like on the TV show Pushing Daisies. I mean, I remember him from Ready to Rumble. Man, that's like if you're a wrestling fan, 
Diamond Upside Down is a pussy. pussy. That movie's so good, man. I mean, you get Dweezil, you get uh, Scott Kahn, you get Oliver Platt. I mean, you get a bunch of WCW wrestlers from back in the day. Anyway, David Arquette is in this film. Real briefly, he plays a heavily medicated cook in this film, for reference. Jeremy Davies is another person we've talked about, too. And I want to mention him, because he has some really funny lines. I was going to say, I didn't recognize his name, but as soon as his face appeared on screen, I put it together. And I was like, oh, this month. Oh, oh, wow. Really? Him? Okay, I'm down. I remember that we had mentioned that he was in Ravenous when we had mentioned our run. On Hannibal. On Hannibal. And for reference, he was... Because he plays the almost exact same character. By he the way. does, man. It's like that's his character. Apparently, I do want to point out though that he does such a good job of just so there's funny. little nuances He's between the two that they're completely different characters, but they are kind of almost the same character. Yeah, they're just I think maybe variations of the same character. But for reference on Hannibal, he was on season two, episode nine. I can't remember his exact name on the show, but he no, was with the horses. Was, yeah, with the horses. He was the, the horses. Yeah, and the boys. <laughs> He also did work on the show Justified, which I think is worth mentioning. And he was on Lost. He was on he? Lost. Yeah, and I never went through all of Lost because at a certain point I was just like, fuck it. I, I was Lost. I honestly don't care yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. I never got involved with Lost. It's like I, I don't tried, need to get Lost. man. I tried. But... We already have found, man. We don't need Lost. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in a film with Jodie Foster and Liam Neeson, a film called Nell back in the day. And he was also in the show Wonder Years from way back in the day for some of us. And I did want to mention that he was in Saving Private Ryan, which we mentioned. An actor from House of a Thousand Corpses was the old Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah. They killed Private Ryan. (laughs) Yeah. He was also in a film with George Clooney in a film called Solaris. And another film with Bill Paxson called Twister. So he's been in some pretty interesting films. Just a little film called Twister. I'm yeah, sure nobody's no heard big of deal. it. <laughs> yeah, but he plays Private Toffler, and, and apparently he's the emissary to Jesus in this film. <laughs> so I like his character a lot in this. Moving on from him as an interesting character, this is a general in this film, and this man's name is John Spencer. He plays General Slauson in this film, and he's got some interesting um, roles to his credit. Now, this is his last film appearance. For the reason he moved on to just doing the West Wing to exactly, die, right? Exactly. And he passed away, I think, in like 2005, if I'm not mistaken. Somewhere around there, 2005, six. But yes, this was his last film appearance. He started off on the Patty Duke show from way back in the day. And then he started doing a lot of stage productions. And then he started getting film roles again. And some of those film roles were in a Matthew Broderick film from in the early 80s, which I really enjoy. It's a film called War Games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was involved with that movie. He was in the film The Brook <laughs> with Sean Connery. <laughs> he was involved with that. And a film with um, Harrison Ford, Presume Innocent. He's got some, uh, some pretty cool roles, I guess he's been in, but mostly known for his work in The West Wing. Yeah. And like I say, he wasn't really heavily involved with this film. He's got some interesting parts, but nothing too major. Yeah, it's not too big. Nah. But moving on from him, we've got Steven Spinella. He plays Knox. He's our resident drunk in this Who film. Who has even less of a part. He does, but he's got some pretty cool uh, credits, man. He was in the film Milk, as in Harvey Milk, which, uh, what's his name, Sean Penn was involved with that. He was in a film with one of our Donnie Darko actors, Jake Gyllenhaal, in the film Bubble Boy. Oh, he was Bubble the chicken Boy. man in that film. Oh, my God. Which had Tiny in that film, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. so, I mean, I love that film. He was involved with the horror film Rubber, which is about a tire. I've still never seen Rubber. I really want I to. need to get around to watching that. It has been on my list. Uh, some people might 
be familiar with Stephen on the show 24, the television series. I think he was also in the film adaptation of it. He was also involved with Desperate Housewives. A really good show I'd recommend with uh, Clive Owen is the show The Nick, which is about the Knickerbocker in New York during the turn of the 20th century. It's about doctors who were in that ward. And it's a really interesting show. It's kind of like turn-of-the-century technology, I suppose, for doctors in that area. Right. Anywho... He was in that project, and uh, he was also on a show called Royal Pains. So that's some of his film credits and TV credits. Neil McDonald. All right. I really want to so, talk about this guy, too. Uh, that was the other one. I really uh, like this guy. Where, when it was going through the opening credits, I was like... Man, how much shit have you I seen I was like, him oh, in? my shit. I was like, oh, oh my God, fucking Neil McDonald. Because I have been just enamored with his performance for the past two years in the Arrowverse yeah. on CW, first starting in Arrow as Damian Dark, and now in Legends of Tomorrow. He chews all of the scenery. He is probably my favorite villain. Now, here's the thing. The season he was in of Arrow, actually a pretty shitty season. Right. But he was a shining light through it all, because nice. he is such a hammy, over-the-top villain. He's so good, man. He's really good. And I realized that... I saw him all the way back in, what, Angels in the Outfield? Dude, that was just one of those I was looking through his film credits. <laughs> I went to I that in the this. fucking theaters, man. Like, If you skim the surface on some of these actors and you just see, like, maybe some of their top credits, you're going to miss all good shit if you don't scroll through their film credits. Star Trek First Contact went to that in the theaters. Dude. Fucking Soft Fire Down Below, Ravenous, Minority Report, yeah. Walking Tall, Saw the Guardian. Remember I was talking about Justified. He was on that show. He was in Legends of Tomorrow. He was in Rogue. You had mentioned Arrow. Now, check this out. Did you know that he was on the show The Incredible Hulk from 1996 to 1997? Do you know who he played? He's Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. He's done a shit ton of voices, too. Dude, he has been a lot of comic book characters. I think he's voiced Batman, and he's voiced, like... If you look at all his his voice acting credits, it's un-fucking-believable. So, I mean, this guy's been pretty prominent from, like, the 90s all the way through this time period. He was also in Band of Brothers on HBO, which is a really good, I guess, show about World War II. Neil McDonald is amazing. Uh, I can't wait to keep seeing him as Legends Tomorrow comes back from its mid-season break. He was in an episode of Quantum Leap. I mean, every time I look at his film credit, I'm like, this is, I could talk about this guy for days. But he does play Private Reich, and he's our soldier in this film. It's really interesting. (laughs) How they introduce him. Joseph Running Fox. There should be a parent who he plays in this film, but he plays George. He actually had some pretty interesting credits to his filmography. I think he started off with films like Seems Like Old Times, right? I think it came out in the 70s. But then I was like, I probably recognize him maybe in the film Porky's Part 2 the next day. And then I was like, hold on, he was in Sons of Anarchy as well. And then I was like, hold on, he was in Avenged in Rites of Passage. So, I mean, this guy's got some pretty interesting film credits. He's one of our natives for the fort sequences. Wait, he's in Sons? I didn't look up his credits. I think I know exactly who he is in Sons. He only appeared in one episode. Yeah, but it should be pretty. I think it's towards the end of season two. That's fucking dope. I'm going to have to watch Sons again. Yeah, so, I mean, knowing (laughs) that, you can point him out. You're like, I know you're from now, Ravenous. Moving on from uh, Mr. Running Facts, so we have Sheila Telsey, and she plays Martha, which is George's sister in this film. And she's another native in the Ford sequences. Anyhow, she has some pretty cool roles, too. Now, when I was looking at her film credits... Run for the hills, Thunderheart. I saw that she was in a film called Skinwalkers, and then I was like, hold on, 
She was also with Scott Bakula in the film Lord of Illusions. It's like, that was pretty dope. She was also in the film Thunderheart. She was on the show Law & Order SVU. She was like a judge on that show, and she had like recurring roles as that judge on a lot of episodes. But she was also on The X-Files for an episode or so. But she did a lot of, like, as far as her film credit, she did a lot of television series. So she did a lot of work just doing a lot of television. And, and on occasion, she gets some film credits doing major pictures. So it's pretty cool. She does a good job in this film as well. Everybody does a good job, I should say. Uh, one other person I should mention. I was going to say, so there's one name we've skipped over. <laughs> you want to mention them? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, occasionally we have to mention kind of problematic actors. Yeah. But I feel like out of all the ones we've mentioned, he might be the safest because there's nobody in the world that's going to stop talking about Beetlejuice or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's a good point, man. So since we're (laughs) leaving this person for last, this was a prominent figure in a lot of films I watched growing up, specifically in the 80s, for a lot of good reasons. Dude, Principal Rooney is fucking iconic. Iconic in Ferris Uh... Bueller's Day Off. However, Jeffrey Jones, who plays Colonel Hart in this, is a registered sex offender. He's an RSO. If you're in his neighborhood or he's in yours, he'll you'll find him with the red dot. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's gotten arrested a couple times for not updating it properly. <sighs> Jesus, Murphy, man. Yeah, there's no excuse for any of that shit. You know, sometimes it's hard to separate the person from the art. You know what I mean? But, you know, when I look at his roles, like I said, it's memorable as the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another film I fucking love is an 80s film called Howard the Duck. Mm, yeah. He's in that. He's in Beetlejuice, another huge one. I had mentioned Kathy Ireland, and the reason why is because she was in the film with him, a movie called Mama, Dad, Save the World. No big deal. See, and for me, I've come to find that I don't really have too many guilty pleasures. There's a couple things, though, that I realize that I like way too much that I shouldn't like. <laughs> yeah. And one of those things is the movie The Past. Oh, that movie. I love John Leguizamo. I love yeah. that film. It's funny, man. It's fucking goofy-ass uh, funny. he's the one fucking hunting John Leguizamo in it. He's we sh- shank. kind of mentioned Ed Bagley a little bit. Dude, I still have the fucking opening song memorized. I used to be able to skip school to watch The Past. Like, it was insane. I don't know why I was allowed to <laughs> skip school to watch The Past, but... Because it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, he was also in Transylvania 6, 5,000. Yeah, so which we're gonna cover by the way. I'm going to make us cover that probably sometime in the next year. It's gonna happen. One of these times when we need to just like lift our spirits because we've watched Martyrs 15 times (sighs) in a row. Man, I know, right? Sometimes you have to dig yourself out. But we did dig ourselves out of Jeffrey Jones's cauldron. Yeah, right. So I mean, he's huge, iconic actors, but we can't really condone things that this guy's done. No, absolutely not. But I mean, he's in this film, and uh, he does have a pretty significant part in this film. So I mean, we have to mention him. Outside of that, there was one person else I wanted to mention. He doesn't have a big part. He plays Lindis. I think he's like just a secondary actor. This played by Bill Brocktrup. Now he's done mostly like television series. There's a few probably people recognize him. If you watched the show NYPD Blue, you might have watched the show Major Crimes. You might have seen the film, He's Just Not That Into You, or you might have seen him in Life As We Know It if you're a Katherine Heigl fan. So those are some of his prominent roles. Uh, aren't we all Katherine Heigl fans? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen some of her films. You know, I can put up with it. It's not a big deal. I've seen worse. But yeah, that's the cast I have. That's our behind the scenes. That's our guts and bolts uh, yeah. for well, the most part. We still have to we, do our yeah, warning. Yeah, our warning. We should warn people. This is uh, not a G film. It's a movie film. about cannibalism. Yes. It's a film about cannibalism, so you're going to see some blood. You're going to see some meat. 
you're gonna see some breaks and some fights and but it's some not, language a little bit. It's not too bad though. No, it's we've definitely bad. covered a lot worse. Yeah, this is uh maybe even a little bit less gore than your average slasher. Right. It does bring a good some good bits and pieces of blood. Nothing but, over the top though. But I realize some people get really squeamish about there the idea of squeamish. eating yeah. another person. So. Yeah, but that's the biggest taboo subject, and it's not something we haven't talked about before. No, no, we've been waiting to get back to cannibals. Yeah. I've been waiting to get back to cannibals. Let's tear into this. Let's get Are you straight ready to into squeal? how we squeal and talk about this far more in depth. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Bam. How does that make you squeal? And now we're squealing. Ooh. And by that, we're going to talk about this fucking movie. I'll maybe from start to finish, maybe jump around. It doesn't matter. It's okay. We're we're talking about ravenous. <laughs> Regardless, it's all about ravenous in this section. Now I've been waiting for a while to do this Dude, movie. This I'm is, so happy that we did this. I can't remember like exactly the first time I saw it, like the date or anything, but I very specifically remember how I saw this movie the first time. It was on Showtime, mm, as are most things that we at discovered. like four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Let me think. This came out in 99. Right. I probably saw this in more like late 2000, early 2001. Okay. That would make sense. So that puts me at like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. For a lot of these films, like specifically this one, I think I discovered these in the early 2000s. A little bit later on, I first seen this maybe around 2004 or 5, somewhere around there. And I had probably just gotten done trying to stay up late to watch some softcore porn on Showtime. Guilty. I might have even set my alarm and just tried to wake up late. I've done that. Either way, what I ended up seeing was this movie. Yeah. And I remember really enjoying it and realizing it was one of the first movies where, like I said, like 13, 14, it was one of those first movies where I felt like I had an opinion on it. You know what I mean? Other than like it was just good. Because this forever has been the movie for me where I feel like it would be remembered as one of the great movies if it had either stayed more horror or more dark comedy and not switched as much between the two. Yeah, and I can understand that. And we've kind of alluded to the fact that there were several hands on deck before this project even got off the ground. So I think some of that probably (coughs) plays a part, at least a little bit, if nothing else. But that does not distract from the fact that this is a brilliant film. And like I said, it also surprised me that it apparently has a cult following because ever since the first time I saw this movie, I have tried recommending it to everybody. I do remember the first time I saw it, I missed the name and had to go back and figure out what movie it was by looking through the the little Showtime guide. Yeah, goddamn. Uh, Back when we used to get those little flimsy, almost like a CD booklet guides. I know you're talking about, yeah. For our younger listeners, when you got those premium channels... Yeah, Before, you got like a magazine for that you shit. You got like a magazine for that shit. Yeah. It was every month or couple months, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it might have been quarterly. It must have been like no, that. I think it must have been every month because uh, Oh yeah, yeah. They, because they, they would. had in include a lot of information. They would. And you didn't have your fucking TV guide on your direct TV and shit. Mm-mm. This was like right in that transition era. Even during that scrolling that man, no one has time for that shit. Mm-mm. This was right in the transition era. And you'd get the fucking little booklets. Yeah, you sure would. I remember those for sure. And it gives you the day listings, but what it also do is in the very back or in the very front, depending if you're on the Showtime or the HBO book, it would tell you 
all the movies they were playing in the entire month. Oh, dude, that was so exciting too! Like when you could figure out what time you needed to stay up to specifically watch this particular movie, and it also gave you premieres. Like you knew certain nights they had premieres, and, and like I always look like forward to that too. Sentence description. Yeah. And that's how I figured out what this movie was, by going back and figuring out. I ended up, I mean, I could have just looked it up by date, but I had to be like, uh, this must have been it. Ravenous. This was it. You know, here's something that's funny about that time period. I know we're off on a little bit of a tangent, but remembering those little magazines, you know, those inserts that you would get with premium channels. It, <laughs> I remember some of those too. I think even, maybe even to this day too, if you still read TV listings in the newspaper or whatever, they give you maybe a sentence or two synopsis of what the film's about, and then you get either like four star rating. And I was like, man, how fucking big of a prick were we as little kids, judging movies just based on the stars, <laughs> not even giving a chance? Because I was guilty of it. I think we all are. But it's it's still funny thinking about that. See, like I said, this was like when I was thirteen, fourteen. So what I was looking for was SSC, yeah, strong yeah, yeah, sexual you're content, for the content, and. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and tvma maybe tvma yes because you know you know what you're gonna get n yes l i want some of that i don't mind some of the violence some of the v in there <laughs> give me some of the gv for the graphic violence this man, I'm so a, funny, it's man. a freaky night <laughs> but i mean just kind of goes to show you know give me some of that fv for fantasy violence I, yeah we, <laughs> we're, we're getting really weird we were all guilty of that at <laughs> one time period it's funny, man, but you're right. It came out during a really interesting time period, too, this film, for 1999, right at the end of the fucking millennium. So I was going to say, if you didn't catch this movie back in 1999, let's think about what other movies came out in 1999, The Matrix and The Phantom Menace. Dude, those are like huge blockbusters, and that's all anybody wanted to talk about. I'm guilty of seeing both of those in the theater at that time period. Of course you missed Ravenous. Yeah, like, <laughs> how could you not? I mean, I'm... That's not to say anything negative about the film, but when you are trying to compete with films like that in the theater, man, it, it's hit or miss, you know, especially for films like this. But once again, it's like there's a reason why we're talking about this film today. Oh, and what about Blair Witch Project? Oh, man, dude. And Fight Club. <sighs> and oh, The yeah. Green Mile. And Austin Powers. Oh, man. And Sixth Sense. What else? American Pie. I've American never seen that. Pie. Yeah, come on. Toy Story 2. There's another Stanley Kubrick film. I'm seeing it. The First Mummy. Oh, shit, man. I know we talked about that Which last week. Which is amazing. Week. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Wow. I mean, if you look at some of these films, man. Tarzan. No, City. Bicentennial, man. That's what yeah. that is. Yeah. Ten Things I Hate. Varsity she, Blues. She's all that, bro. Talented Mr. Fucking Ripley. Galaxy Quest, dude. Yeah. There's so many good films that it had. 1999 was a good year for movies that we like, apparently. Yeah, dude. I mean, a lot of you probably tuned the fuck out, and I didn't even say Wild Wild West, did I? (laughs) (laughs) No, Wild Wild West. I fucking love me some Wild Wild West. It's a terrible movie, but I love that flick. Is that Varsity Blues up there, I see? Dude, yeah. Dude, yeah, for reals. Yeah, that was huge. If you play football specifically too. 13th warrior iron giant man on the moon days dude there's so many good films that came out intentions dogma wow yeah i know we're nerding out but man there were so many good films and all of those more than likely you would have watched these films over ravenous south park bigger longer watched it any given sunday seen it blast from the past yeah magnolia great film girl interrupted great stigmata Jesus, man. All this I've seen a lot of these films in the theater <laughs> when I was in high school. Holy shit. Fucking Girl Interrupted. Yeah. God damn. See, dude, I didn't realize that 1999 is apparently one of my Jesus. favorite years of fucking film. <laughs> That's a good year, man. That was like... Apparently, was I will year. watch a lot of movies from 1999. So if you didn't like 
no wonder this movie kind of bombed, I'm thinking. I'm wondering now what it opened up against. Well, we talked about that it got a March release date, right? Like March 19th. So it would have been interesting to see what films came out the same time it came out. Damn, Office Space. <laughs> so this opened the same weekend as Office Space. What, what else? Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels. The, yeah, the week before was Lockstock, uh, Two Smoking this. Barrels. Come analyze on, this. And Ten Things I Hate About You? Really? That, oh, and Cruel Intentions was the week before. And the two weeks after was Ten Things I Hate About You Gosh, and man. The Matrix. What about like the week before, maybe? What else was out? Is that McConaughey? No, 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 no. That's oh, fucking that... Affleck, dude. Oh, from For... here, I can start. Oh, shit. Forces of Nature God came out the same Bat... day. Batman. Uh, you had The Rage. Carrie 2 came out the week before. <laughs> yeah. Nothing on the right. Wing Commander. Yeah. 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 Baby geniuses. Eh. <laughs> it is kind of neat to go back and see what it was kind of competing against and stacked up against during that time period, too. In March, I don't know if a lot of people are like really necessarily going to the films in March. Right. And that's the other thing. Cannibal movies. Not exactly a big draw for people. No. It seems like a lot of people get kind of wigged up by cannibal things. Just by even hearing cannibal, you're like, no, no, I'm good, bro. It does kind of stir up images and maybe a little bit of emotions attached to that word but yeah you're right it is highly debated topic now for me the other exciting thing about this movie always was it's a wendigo movie yeah dude have we got i mean i think we've we mentioned have? it once at least once and Did i know we mention why it during raw we mentioned it during hannibal for sure oh right okay yeah for during sure. hannibal for sure there's a lot of things about this film that reminded me of hannibal Oh, yeah, so let's skip to the end. <laughs> All right, Since so we're spoiler, talking about this right so we now. Ha- we are talking about spoilers. Since you right? just brought up Hannibal. Yeah. Let's right, skip so, to the very fucking end of this so movie. So if you don't want to hear the end, fast forward in like three, two, one. Because much like the ending of Hannibal season three, this ends in a fucking bro hug between cannibals. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of reviews that I've listened to and people are like, this film has some homoerotic undertones in this film, specifically during the end of this film. And you're right. They I'm have not a sure if now. I would take it to being too homoerotic. No, but I mean, I don't either. Not I nearly as much as Hannibal. That's was not my in argument. Season two. Yeah. No. No. Because season three was much more. They have. But. Yeah. Exactly. But that whole dynamic between Will and Hannibal, it's built up over three seasons in mm-hmm. what thirty nine episodes. <laughs> so <laughs> you're not going to get that in this film. But this one does end in a weird Embrace, fucking cannibal you know, bro hug. Yeah. It, you're right. And there's a sense of like loneliness, and you need a companion and some camaraderie, and that Jeffrey Jones brings up. Yeah, and then you have this duplicitous morale story too. Like, do you do what you need to do to survive, or do you do it or not do it because of moral reasons or ethical reasons? So you have that context too. But you're right; it is kind of a, <laughs> a weird ending to the film but it's i like it now the other thing is i'd say that there's probably two other big things that hold it back from being remembered as like one of the all-time great movies right both we already touched on jeffrey jones oh man yeah but that's still not as bad as i fuck i like the guy too yeah but a lot of people tune out as soon as they see david arquette's name (laughs) that's not past scream you know it happens. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know it happens, though, right? Yeah, dude, but it doesn't matter. You know I like him. I love David Arquette, dude. I think David Arquette was in a video game I used to play. He was in ESPN NFL 2K5. <laughs> you could play against David Arquette. But anyway, 
he's a funny guy. He's goofy, yes. But if you can tolerate that, man, David Arquette, he's a likable guy. He does a good job, and I like him. I dig him. But it's, it's kind of like, for a certain portion of the population, it's like having Polly Shore in the movie. I like Polly Shore. I like Polly Shore, too. Give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, I had this conversation not too long ago. I like Polly Shore, so what? I like David Arquette. Guilty. I'm glad he's in this film, because he's fucking funny in this film. And now, of for that, me, I feel like if he's going to be in this film, they should have either had him way in this film, or not had him in this film. Right. Because he is only in, like, three minutes of this film. Yeah, collectively, at best, yeah. Like I said, he is a secondary character. I would like to hear character. his story of being in this movie, oh, because I'm sure he was on set for, like, two days. Probably goofing the fuck off. Maybe a week, because a couple of his things involved, like makeup and effects and shit yeah but maybe Still. maybe because he's barely in this film they even sent him off set <laughs> they sent him on a journey for three days yeah we mean it david three days <laughs> it's funny that he is in this film but you're right i mean there's certain actors that can trigger you either want to watch a film or not it is interesting it's like depends on the films they've been in and it depends on maybe some of their character too mm-hmm. you know but I got nothing against David Arquette. I mean, Jeffrey Jones is a different story, but I think he did a good job in this film. I didn't see him do anything wrong. I don't know if, if anything he did no, wrong. No, I felt one of the things I picked up with Jeffrey Jones in this movie that I'd never picked up before while watching this, and it wasn't very heavy, but I felt like there was a little bit of a commentary on cannibalism being like a return to primitivism and stuff. Right, uh, right, right. That especially with his character. In the very beginning, when you first meet him and shit... He offers the walnuts. He's talking about his love of languages and showing off his library and ends up using one of his big-ass books to crack the fucking walnuts. Yeah, that was interesting. And then at the very end, after he's all Wendigo'd out, Mm -hmm. he fucking just grabs some walnuts and cracks them in his hand. But they thought he was dead, so they got rid of all of his books, and so none of his books are there. Yeah, he even makes note of that, too. Like, he's lost all of his knowledge and, you know, but it is what it is, man. And it's because he sort of chose the path that he did. Yeah. And along with that, as Guy Pierce's character... Captain Boyd. It is interesting, his character, but yeah. As Boyd rejects just grabbing onto the brute strength of the Wendigo, he ends up winning through learning, through trickery, by oh, yeah. using his mind instead Cunning. and being civilized rather than primitive. It is unique, his character, when you look at it and his experiences leading all the way through the film, right? Even his introduction. I even like how the film opens with a quote. Two quotes, to be exact. First quote is a philosopher, a big name in, in philosophy is Frederick Nietzsche. And it goes, He that fights with monsters shall look to it that he himself does not become a monster. And then the retort is, Eat me. Anonymous. <laughs> so just with that alone, right, you get a, something that seems pretty serious, something very poignant, something very significant, followed up with, eat me. <laughs> you know, it's like a Bart Simpson reply. Mm-hmm. Which kind of sets the tone for this entire movie. It does. It's it does. a little bit of two things. It doesn't take itself too serious. Now, I feel... <laughs> that's another thing. When I was reading around online nowadays, thinking about this movie years later and stuff, and noticing people... It seems like all the people that like it are feeling the need to defend themselves by calling it a satire. 
I'm not sure what it's a satire of myself. I was trying to look into that after I read that on my second yeah. viewing. and The director, Antonia Bird, she's even commented a little bit about that. Like she's, not, I mean, she doesn't say like one way or the other, but she says she looks at it a little bit as a satire as well. She didn't you know, extrapolate or, or she didn't add any further details outside of that fact. But she's like, it's a comedy, it's a horror, it's... You know, it's a little bit of a satire. She didn't say specifically of what, but, you know, you use your imagination, I suppose. I kind of feel, this is just my personal opinion, but I feel like if it's a satire, it's not well enough done for it to be very clear. Right. And I almost feel like that's more of just kind of a bullshit reasoning for liking a movie that's not <laughs> quite sure of what it is. Yeah. Instead of yeah. just being like, oh, no, dude, I, I like this movie, even though it's kind of clunky on whether it's, it's, uh, it's a, a mix match comedy or of all kinds of stuff it is it's a it's a potpourri of different genres some even say that it's kind of like somebody a convince western me though, like tell me if i can tell me what it's satirizing like somebody fucking convince me like i would love to see the satire in this ah shit you got and me. i suppose like certain Maybe. scenes could be construed as satire yeah. especially like the dinner scene with all the fucking captains oh shooting yeah down sure. on Literally, like just a fucking slab of meat. Slab of meat and plate you know, of blood. Really, <laughs> that can easily be an analogy for fucking just these assholes throwing fucking troops to the grinder and it growing is. fat it's, and making their life blood off. It, it's them just like shit, a cycle, but, you know. It could be a commentary on that, but not necessarily as a whole. No, 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 no. It's just something. It could be subliminal. It could be something just very. Passe. Somebody convince me, because I think that would make yeah. me enjoy this movie even more. But I really like this movie. <laughs> no, I, I shit. I was I'm saying too. I, I like this. You can label it what you want, but I mean, it does borrow from all kinds of different genres. You know, it doesn't take anything away from the film. You just take you take it for what it's worth. You know, like I said, it doesn't have to take itself too serious because it's not directly one thing. Mm-hmm. You can play on all these tropes. The thing I was going to say about Captain Boyd, we know that he's a coward throughout this entire film because it's already been alluded to the fact that while his platoon, his men, were getting gunned down, this is taking place during the Mexican-American War, like around 1847-ish. And he lays down. Eventually he gets carried off in a stack of his dead men. There's a lot of sequences, too, where you see, like, blood in his mouth or, like, getting poured in his mouth. This is definitely one of them. You know, maybe he was already being introduced to that Wendigo kind of realm. Not necessarily, like on his own you know merits but well that's the thing when he takes the when he recounts taking yeah. the fort and he's like I he just, had the strength and it's like I, I just knew this had to change and i just he sort of got it. up and so it kind of shows you like you might not be paying much attention to that initially but it's always been in him in some sort but he gets a captaincy for taking over that fort and getting a seize of that mexican command post <laughs> through cowardice so they're covering that up right a lot of this shit just being kind of this is good but we're going to sweep this other shit <laughs> to the side you know we can't reveal this Although, yeah that's the thing they're like well technically he's a hero but we all know what he did so yeah, let's just coward. get this fucking uh, guy out of the way so as a reward for his captaincy he does get sent to a post called fort spence i think it is or spence or something like that in uh the sierras in california in between the nevadas but this film wasn't shot in California nor the Nevadas. It was shot in Slovakia and parts of Mexico as well. Yeah, except it looked like the fucking Rockies, son. Yeah, I mean, it looked really good. I made a note of it. Like I'm like, it, it was, looks good out there. It was there. breathtaking. Like, I grew up in landscapes 
close to that. Yeah, and I mean, we're here some in the, Some of their landscapes they use in that movie are a little bit more majestic than what's currently around us in the valley, but <laughs> yeah, that happens. doesn't mean that we can't just drive 100 miles north and see the same thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean like, it's right here in our backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have that advantage. It looks like the Northwest. It looks like the West in general. Like, that was huge points for this movie for me. Because I'm like, you're saying that, you know, I don't care where they were supposed to be stationed in California, whatever. It was just kind of, for me, it was generic. The Old West. But it was super believable. Yeah. You know, it's a gold rush. People trying to get over to that location. Yeah, right right before the big gold rush of 49. Yeah. And you look like you're supposed to be there to me. Yeah, exactly. It's like an outpost. It's an old military outpost. So he gets sent there, and you get this ragtag of guys. And this is where you meet Jeffrey Jones, Colonel Hart. And he describes all the characters involved. Private Reich, which we talked about. He's a soldier in water, screaming. I will never forget that ever. Steer clear of him. Neil McDonough, topless. (laughs) Shit is hilarious. We talked about Knox. He's the drunk. We talked about Toffler, the emissary. Can also, can I say that fuck Knox too? Uh, One of the only massive. characters in there, almost as little as David Arquette, but he actually fucks up the story because he's just too drunk to fucking realize. He can't re- recollect anything. He's just there. He's just existing. That's it. <laughs> so we meet him. Just know he's the drunk. Martha actually leads Captain Boyd into the camp to the the fort. At first, we don't really know who she is, but she does. And I think it's kind of interesting too. Like you see her. She's more of a towering figure than Guy Pierce is. So even going there as a, like a third in command, we find out, he's still kind of looked at as an inferior. Maybe he has that inferior complex. Long story short, we're getting introduced to all these people. And then after all these introductions and dinner and all this other good stuff, there's a conversation that gets had. And Pierce, his character Boyd, he sees... Carlisle's character outside and then they investigate and then they find him worn down they clean him up they get him all kind of back to health he tells the story of what happened to him and how he got there and that's where this film really kind of takes off it tells a tell of I guess they were coming on through like some kind of expedition or religious trail I want to just but before you get too far into this yeah I realized Upon all of these rewatchings, having to turn a critical eye to it and stuff, something I didn't realize the 20 other fucking times I've seen this movie when I was a teenager was how much Carlisle suckered them into that. Oh, man. Because where they find his body when they go out to see, you know, after Pierce sees him in the window is not by the window. Oh, no. He's kind of outside the camp. They had to go out and find him. He snuck off and then collapsed. And collapsed. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just come to the door like he was actually seeking. No, he was sneaking. He was creeping. He was creeping. Yep. Allowed himself to be seen just to set it because he's like, oh, cool, there is food here. Yeah. I like how it was Toffler who kind of is the one who watches over him because he's, at a certain point, Carlyle's character is still kind of, you know, he's laid supposed to be laid bit. up. Yeah. But when he finally comes to in the morning, he goes out to Knox, and Knox is like kind of, oh no, maybe it was right. He was telling him to kind of like, fuck off, he's sleeping. <laughs> he goes back in, he gathers all the guys, and that's when he tells his story. Reveals his name as, what was it, F.W. Calhoun? Yeah. He's not spelt Cowl, like you would think Calhoun spelt, but anyhow. Yeah, uh, it's, it's spelled like Colquan. Yeah, exactly. It's Apparently it's Scottish, maybe. Yeah, it's something. But I think that's what it was. It was just like a, a little small group of these... I don't know if they were just pioneers or just settlers or whatever. But they're heading over. Yeah, and they started off in April. They get all the way into like October, November. The weather really turns. 
they have to seek residence and they find a cave and they seek residence in there. There comes a point where they're running out of food. They have to turn to eating their livestock, their ox, their horse, their dog, fucking belts, you name belts. it. Then it finally comes to a point where people are getting sick and famished and they're starting to die. And then it's like, well, we haven't eaten in X amount of days and there's some meat right there. Well, it's not even that. He he said he was out trying to find something to eat when, yeah, when this homeboy like, died and he got yeah. back and they were already They were already cooking, cooking meat, but that I mean it came to that point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's some meat. We there you have to do something to survive, right? But you're right, he came back and he said that the smell he was like, Thank Jesus, thank Christ, <laughs> thank God, <laughs> you know, thank God. But eventually that taste, that sensation, that urge to eat meat was there in that camp and got so nasty. Was- so there was something that he he said during... He talks the, about a cap kernel or something like that. There was something that he mentioned during all of his story and shit when he was talking how little they had to eat that I was going to ask you about. Okay, yeah, certainly. Since you're certainly. the resident vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much nourishment is there in roots? It depends <laughs> on the root itself, right? I mean, there are a lot of rooted like roots, but plants you know, there's not much nourishment in those anyway. Right. Like, don't let them... I wrote that down. You. I'm like, I don't eat much roots. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think maybe during that time period, too, you got to think it, they were October, November, not a lot of vegetation in terms of like your more succulent veggies and what have you. But yeah, I would think in that time period, like you're scrounging, man, like to find anything that will actually give you some kind of nourishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't be unfounded to his statement. That's uh, my yeah. clean. Oh, yeah. It. No, no, no. I'd be, eating, I'd be eating all the roots I could fucking dig up. I'm oh, just man. wondering yeah. how much nourishment there really is in a root. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll find out one day. Maybe not. Yeah, we need assistance. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would think during that time period and in their situation, probably not a whole hell of a lot, like he said, but I could kind of believe his story. But he also talks about the fact that a Colonel Ives kind of became a little too cravenous. He got the taste too much. He got a bit uh, he got ravenous. A little ravenous? Yeah. <laughs> He did use a lot of adjectives to describe what happened to that character. There came a point where there was down to a couple of survivors, Calhoun's character, Ives, I think a husband and, and wife. Chick. Yeah, and the, the chick was... Uh, she no, was, the husband had already died. Yeah, and yeah, she. I guess she was still the last one, but he was a coward and ran out and left her behind. He was thinking of survival, wink, wink. And anyhow, Jones's character, Jeffrey Jones's Colonel Hart, he's like, we got to go and find her. Any survivors? And like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? And he's like, well, I'll lead you back. And they're like, you know, weren't you laid up? And he's I like, know, yeah, right? but you guys don't know where the fuck it's at, so I kind of have to go. And that's believable, right? <laughs> I can understand that. But that was the first one of tip. I didn't think of that either. And like, there's some he should have been more laid up than that, right? Considering like, his conditions, that he was malnourished, he was what hold up since he said like for three months, right? Yeah. He hasn't eaten anything in three months. You're like, what the fuck, really? He hasn't had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And they they kind of even ask a little bit fringely, like, what? what? Three months? What's that like? What's that like? <laughs> a little bit further on, we talked about Wendigo earlier, right? And George is the first character to bring that up along their travels. He's like, oh, this motherfucker. Even if he's not Ives, he ate some of the meat. So he's fucking turned. And I like how they use Colonel Hart, Jeffrey Jones, to be the interpreter of all that stuff. Because he's telling Boyd, you know, he's like, he's interpreting that a Wendigo is like a spirit or it could be a creature, man, 
eating the soul of another person, getting their essence, their strength, their spirit, and they get that sensation, and it's a hunger. They can't control it. So there's even a little allusion to vampirism a little bit. I'm wondering what he actually said. Not what Jeffrey Jones said. one of the things I caught, Mm -hmm. now, I don't speak whatever Indian language he was speaking, native language, but I did hear him say Ojibwe which is one of the tribes in which the Wendigo myth originated. But that's not something Jeffrey Jones said, so I'm wondering what <laughs> yeah. he was what actually he really said. saying. We need an assistant. God damn it. Right? <laughs> Please apply. No, <laughs> but uh, no, it would be kind of interesting, like I said, to see what he said, you know, compared to what was translating, I suppose, back to him. But you do get the story of the Wendigo, and that is a huge focal point throughout the rest of this film once that story gets revealed oh man so i love wendigo stories i love cannibal stories which is really weird first off yeah no they're uh, they're interesting but I'm then no stranger. even more like down i mean supernatural got me for five seasons just because episode two had a wendigo nice the character wendigo factors into like the wolverine hulk fight for the first yeah, time good point and just like huge things like that, but we couldn't help but talk. This for might have three been seasons. one of the first times I heard of the Wendigo, and this is what huh. made me seek it out. That's really cool. It's a pretty cool little version of the myth. There's a few different ones. I think I mentioned it before. Whenever we brought up Wendigos, but the Wendigo creature in itself varies from legend to legend. Exactly. But what's common is an insatiable hunger. Sometimes it turns into more of like an ice giant. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is when it eats things, it doesn't get full. Instead, it just increases in size by that same amount. Right. And the only way you can kill it is by burning its heart. They don't get that specific in this one. Martha's just like, Wendigo only takes, you have to give, you have to die too. Yeah, so there has to be a sacrifice of sorts, yeah. Which was a neat play on it, I thought, because that's true. It only takes, it doesn't give. I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of a layman's, I guess, perspective on it. Or... And it's kind of a neat, more like, it's more of an emotional than yeah. it has a heart made of ice that you have to fucking light on fire, which is more of like a like slaying the dragon type. Yeah, that's almost like, it's just more of a metaphor, just, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, morale stories, I suppose. <laughs> But I do like the play on that. Like, you get in parts of the supernatural, you're getting part of mythology in that region. It's heavily out here. I mean, that's that myth, Bigfoot and Wendigo, and it's native to this area that we're in, and in Canada, and, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's other ways that Wendigos are represented, too, not just, like, ice giants. Like, this, I thought, was a neat take. They just got enhanced. They always had the hunger... And sort of had enhanced regeneration abilities yeah. and, like, strength and shit for a little while. It did seem like it waned, and so they had to keep eating, something like that. But yeah. that was cool. I dug that. Other times they're kind of, like, spirit-like. Other times they're a little bit more creature. Like, the supernatural Wendigo is, like, super fast and shit. Yeah, and there's I mean, there's a little hints here and there, mm-hmm. you know, that they touch upon that. One thing I liked during that sequence, too, is... I'm not sure if it's boy, but he asks, he's like, well, is, is that still relevant? He's talking about cannibalism, man-eating man. And George's response in the way that Jones, his character Hart, translates it, he's like, every Sunday, we eat the flesh of Christ. Oh, I loved that little thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he whips like, out that little cloth that has Jesus on it. <laughs> that was the fucking that funny was part. so like. funny. So you have, like, this serious supernatural, almost like a spooky tell of this creature or some kind of demonic force it could be out in nature 
and this is what's happening and possibly inside this camp. And then you bust a joke about, well, shit, you guys still do that on Sundays at church. What's the difference? It's just, I thought that was funny. It is kind of comic relief. There's a lot of dark humor in this. Some people might not find it funny, which humor and comedy, it's subjective (laughs) to your taste. So take that in mind. Some people might not find that funny. I thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, shit. What? Oh, my God. The thing I always bust up in this movie, just because we're talking about comedic There moments. are so many funny lines. Oh, fucking Toffler. <laughs> Bourbon now! Bourbon now! <laughs> they eventually get to, like, this little, I don't know if it's a summit, you know, or, like, a lookout point, and he finds a bone, and when he comes back, he's so clumsy, and he's always kind of aloof. He winds up taking a tumble, and he gets injured, and he gets, like, a, a wound to his midsection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and while they take camp for the night, and, you know, they're tending to him, and Calhoun is in the same tent. As the lights are out, you get that little tussle, and there's a commotion going on, and they enter inside, and he's kind of whisper. He always uses that, like, little monotone, just like, mm-hmm. you know. But eventually, he tells him, he's like, he looks at him, like, he licked me, he licked me. He licked me. He licked me. <laughs> he licked me. Like, and you see the dribble of blood on his lip. And he gives you that bullshit story. But yeah, even before that, you're right. The pain is like so unbearable to him. He resorts to wanting bourbon. <laughs> I very funny, much like man. some of that bourbon now, please. That whole sequence is funny. Bourbon now. Bourbon now. He's so good, man. Davies as Toffler. He nailed that character. But then eventually they restrain. And even Carlisle's character is like, I want you to restrain me. And then they march on. They eventually find where the cave is at. That was their primary objective. And Carlisle's character (laughs) starts to freak the fuck out. And he does these like little hand things. (laughs) Yeah, he's little mannerisms. You're like, oh, damn, he's on that other shit. (laughs) Maybe he did find some roots. (laughs) damn son i don't know like damn he's out here tripping balls but he does he becomes a little unhinged and the closer they get to the cave the more he becomes i don't know just he becomes like this a whole different character like man i like that choice but they were just he was hamming it up for sure he was hamming it up and he was kind of trying to throw him off a little bit and i guess it worked Mm -hmm. but it only worked because it was like Toffler's inept ass. Oh, I'm not. George seemed more on top of things than that. Like, George should have been all over that shit. He should have had his fucking arrow on asshole the entire time. <sighs> yeah, I know, right? Because otherwise, all he did was basically give himself away. Like, as soon as he started doing that shit, the closer you got, I would have been like, oh, this motherfucker's up to something. Like, we need to get him even tighter yeah, well, under control. Like, fidgeting and, and just, he's not being responsive. And they even let him kind of just like. Fuck and they're off. like, oh, what? A, you know, he's just fucking wigging out because he had to eat people here. But I'm like, that ain't a wigging out from having to eat people here. That's some other level shit. Yeah. There was a moment, too, I mean, a little bit prior to this, before they even go into the cave, back on the summit a little bit. And George was already worried about him, but he still kept his fucking shit on the hole for the cave. Boyd, he kind of wants to ask Calhoun, he wants to ask him about his. Almost like that cowardice thing, like what made him eat, you know, and what made him want to run away and shit. But he never gets to answer it. He never gets to answer that shit. So there's a little bit of that play. But anyhow, I mean, you know, fast forwarding back. As they're going into the cave, because it comes down to Reich, and it comes down to Boyd going into the cave. And they go down, they finally find like a little tunnel that goes further down. Reich goes down, because Boyd is a pussy. 
And uh, <laughs> Reich eventually stumbles upon the corpse of the woman they were looking for. And the practical effects for all of that shit underneath her oh, was awesome. The, dude, the hanging skeletons. So good. Little bits of meat still on them and shit. It looked so fucking looked cool, dude. really believable. It would have been... If you had found something like that in a fucking cave... Going down in the tunnel and you saw that shit, it would freak you out. I mean, it would freak any normal person out, I suppose. Neil's hamming it up. Yeah. He uh, is. He's up there and he, he eventually starts to dig at the earth and they're just letting him do it. And Reich puts it together that there's way too many corpses to corroborate the story that Calhoun gave him back at the fort. And so now it's a race to get out. In so time. now they know possibly the true identity of him. So now there's a race with Reich and Boyd to get back to the rest of the guys who are outside of the cave with Calhoun is fucking freaking out and digging. He finally gets his knife out. There's a knife he dug, apparently, and he guts the shit out of heart, Jeffrey Jones, and he digs in deep. And by the time George responds and throws that axe perfectly <laughs> into Jeffrey Jones's back. <laughs> oh my God, it's funny, too, because he like he picks him up with the knife that's in his guts, blocked you, and then he shoots him. Dude, oh, I'll tell you what, though. I'll never forget that. And Toffler's just sitting there. Ever since I was a teenager, I never forgot that fucking badass sidearm fucking hatchet dope. throw by fucking George. It was perfect, but there and was a body so in the way. it so cool, too, in the fucking air, just... Man. Because you never see it the fucking... He fucking sidearmed that shit like a fucking gangster. That reminded me a little bit of Mortal Kombat. Uh, I can't remember the name of the character. Specifically, he's like the Native American character. Oh, fucking Nightwolf? Yeah, Nightwolf, yes. It reminded me of him a little bit. Because <laughs> he has the hatchet. But anywho, yeah, George gets off. Don't bring up Mortal Kombat, son. I know, I'll get right? into this shit. I mean, it's, yeah. 90, it's 90s. It's relevant. But it had that moment. It's like, yeah, you're right. You never get to see that side spin action. But it fucked up Jones. It hit him in the back. And during all that commotion, like I said, George gets shot. Then Jones gets discarded, or heart, however you want to look at it. And then it's, it just comes down to Toffler's little scary ass. And Calhoun, he pulls out that gun, he has that pistol, goes click. to click it, and he's like, ugh, that's so annoying. <laughs> and Toffer goes scuttering off. Reich and Boyd come out and discover the carnage that's left. They notice that Toffler and Calhoun are gone, and they go to chase. And this is where the music kind of gets... Oh, they start playing They with throw you off. Bit. Yeah. Because the choice of music doesn't really give you that sense of dread or tension or this anxiety maybe going into this chase. It's almost kind of playful. It's playful for a bit. There's moments where it changes back and forth. And it changes at the very end when it, he actually starts popping up again. Yeah, I think but. it's when they have those close encounters where you get a little bit more sense of dread and, and you know, maybe tension and stuff like that. But but they fucking <laughs> ratchet it way to the foreground. Dude, I, I really like, liked it, it, too. I turn this shit down. I almost felt like I was watching, you know, a show about, like, the races. Like, they're off to the races. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like that, that sequence where they're chasing them. But... During that whole scene, Boyd and Reich, they find Toffler. That whole and it, scene? Nah. The whole scene. <laughs> my favorite scene. But they find Toffler, and Toffler didn't make it. It looked like he got gutted. His oh, he got were fucked out. up, dude. He looked, almost looked like he got filleted. It makes Boyd churn, and they go a little bit further, and Boyd wants to, he wants to go back. He tells Reich that, and Reich's like, fuck you. We're going after him. It looks like he might have seen a silhouette or, you know, like an image of Calhoun. He takes shot, misses him. They go down into that, like, little cliff, you know, overhang. And Calhoun jumps out. He's like, gotcha, bitch. And he up hitting Reich. <laughs> Reich dies. He fucking falls off. You're like, oh, shit. And now it's just Boyd and Calhoun. And Boyd's being a pussy again. 
He winds he up shooting him, though. He, he ends up shooting him, but he ends up over the edge, too. My favorite thing, since we've talked about wrestling a little bit, is he pulls an Undertaker on him. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? He gets up like, surprise, bitch. <laughs> I'm not dead. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> right? It gives him kind of like that gotcha, the hand gestures and coming at him. And if you've never seen this film before, this is one of the most unrealistic things that any logical person would have done in that situation, maybe, is Boyd becomes so terrified. He doesn't want to fight back. He doesn't want to fight back at all. He doesn't want to be there. He jumps off that cliff. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And they almost make it look like it was a good idea for a minute. They yeah. almost make it look like he's going to break himself with all those... Not, and not break himself in, like, <laughs> he's going to break himself in a million pieces, but, like... Slow himself down with all yeah. the fucking branches, which no. <laughs> Here, here's something that's really cool about this. I listened to like an interview. I'm like, he's going to end up looking like he hit the fucking ugly tree. <laughs> there was supposed to be a second unit that to shoot that sequence, like when he goes into the pines and then yeah. goes down the hill and all that stuff. Because I think they might have been a little bit ahead of schedule. Antonia Bird, she actually wanted, she's like, look, I want to actually shoot this sequence. So she went in, she shot that whole scene, like the whole sequence and all the way into that little pit. Into the hole? Into the hole. <laughs> she shot the whole sequence. <laughs> so anyhow, you're right. He hits every single fucking branch on that tree on the way down. Then he takes his ungodly roll down the fucking hill onto the corpse. That's, right? what, that's what I was going to say. Was, I love that. That's so hammy. That's what I was going to say was the most unrealistic thing in this movie is that he uh, rolled as far down that fucking mountain as he did without he just fucking wrapping himself around a tree. He would have fucking uh, Sonny Bono'd that shit. All right. Here's an old reference since we're, we're going old school, right? Even with this film, we're in old school. It kind of reminded me of my childhood when you would play like King of the Hill. Where right. you just like tumble down the hill. And that reminded me of that, but... That like, many trees, and the, though, he would have That's what I'm getting at. It's like, there's no fucking way, or a stump or anything. Because he rolled, like, a mile and a half down that mountain. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Enough to roll on top of Reich, latch onto him, lose him, fall down into a pit. Then you have Reich, like, right behind him, fall down into the pit, but get hung up by the branches. And just hung there like the skeleton corpses that he just fucking found. I love how the last thing that Reich decides he wants he to do him. in this world is try to kill somebody oh. else. I was like, this is this it is doesn't where, matter who it is. He's just he's not going out alone. There's moments in throughout this film where it was like, I'm so glad they're not taking this film too serious because it's moments like these that are like, man, this is so fucking good. And if you're a stoner, it makes it even better. It's like this is so fucking good. But you're right, that's like, and then he finally falls out of that trap, apparently breaks his neck, and there's a montage of the different people involved, like, apparently David Arquette's character Cleves and Martha come back to camp after they've been sent out for supplies, specifically stay away from women. They didn't make a point of that at the beginning. It's like, I couldn't get a woman anyway. (laughs) Right? So apparently they're back. I like how they chop, like, there's a sequence where... You discover that Boyd has broken his leg, and it looks like what a structure, like the bones coming out of his, his shin. And he's trying to set it back in place. And as he does, David Arquette's chopping wood, firewood. <laughs> and then that whole sequence, too, like so there's a montage of Calhoun dragging bodies back into the cave. You Calhoun got, almost finds him. Boyd starts freaking oh, out, starts talking. I like how them. he does it, too. He even uses the scent, like he's trying to pick him up by scent. And even, like, logically, like, if he fell over here, he would have rolled down this way. And there was that moment. That was good. Now, I'm pretty sure that 
he knew he was there. Oh, yeah. And he smelled them both, and so he left him to see if he would eat them. Uh, like an experiment. Like, mm, well, if it were just you, maybe I would eat your ass. But because you got a body, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's a good way of looking at that. After that sequence, there's that elapsed time, maybe a couple of days, right? There comes a time where now Boyd's in the situation where, like, uh... Boyd's like, fuck it, time to eat. Yeah, he even, like, he even has a discussion. He's like, I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to... I need you to tell me what to do. And he takes out that knife and cuts, like, a piece of his leg off. They cut away, so you don't... I mean, it's implied. And then he comes out, and he's like walking back to camp and he's all good and you're like what the fuck he's so still yeah kinda fucked up but yeah he's still fucked up but not entirely like yeah, he's not too fucked up after you, man if you had a break like that there's no way you walking down x i don't know that's a couple miles probably into the woods mm-hmm. but he comes back david arquette finds him calls to martha they it's boyd yeah they bring him back and eventually he starts to tell the story of what happened and they're not really believing him well, and they bring up all, in all the higher brass and shit, too, to hear his story. Yeah, who is it? Is it uh, Slauson comes mm-hmm. back, and some of his little henchmen, and... Yeah, they're just like, you need to change that story, man. He's like, this is what happened. It's like, you know, some other shit happened, and you didn't eat people and stuff. <laughs> that didn't happen. But anyway... Something happens. story. Yeah, it's like... that's what Maybe that's like what they're satirizing a little bit, too, is like cover-ups and like... I don't know. Maybe that's... Who knows? But long story short, you do get a lot of that, though. Like, there's a lot of sweeping under the carpet of, like, there's some good that came out of it. You're alive. <laughs> you know? But we got to set aside all these other facts. There's a big reveal that happens while he comes back, Boyd, and he gets his strength back and whatnot, is there's another person who comes in and is supposed to take command of that fort. And it's a guy Ives. named... Ives. Yeah. And, and it's revealed... To be coincidentally, fucking Carlisle, Calhoun, Carlisle. What the fuck, right? He's all clean and looks, you know, snazzy. Yeah, man, he looks chivalrous and cavalier. You know. Anyway, go. good word, cavalier. Yeah, dude, should be used more often to describe handsome men. Long story short, is as soon as Boyd sees him, he freaks out, panics. It's like that's him. That's fuck. That's fucking him. And they still don't believe him. There's this weird tension. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. But there's a cool moment. There's a cool moment where not too long after, because now we're into like the last like 30 minutes. Of yeah, the movie. roughly, roughly, yeah. And so a lot of shit sort of starts popping off at once. And one of the things is you have a really awesome scene. Well, first you have uh, scenes there, yeah. Guy Pierce asking Martha about Wendy goes and shit. Yeah, I really she, do like that. And that's where she's like, they take, you have to give yourself. We already talked she about She gives it. him a big reveal, yes. But then he's talking with Robert Carlyle, and Carlyle gives away. He's like, yeah, I'm the fucking one to go. What are you going to fucking do about it? Like, you just need to fucking eat, son. Like, yeah, you like, know what it's like. What are you doing here? And <laughs> yeah. Guy Pierce goes to kill Carlyle, and when he does, Martha saves him. Yeah. And I realized, I'm like, she's the one that told him, you have to die too. And it would be the only chance she got, because if he kills him, he's probably going to eat him. And so there's yeah, still going to be point. a Wendigo. Exactly. And that's what she's afraid of. It keeps manifesting itself, or mm-hmm. reincarnating itself. Yeah, that's a good point. There's two moments, actually, I want to talk about, because it's all within that same sequence. That's a really good one, too. There's a scene where Boyd is looking out the window, and David Arquette is like, I don't know if he's chopping wood or whatever the fuck he's oh, doing, gathering when wood. he hallucinates the... Yeah, I really like that sequence, because... 
there's a brief moment where you don't know if that's really happening because he comes out there and he stabs him and it looks like he's going to eat him. But then David Arquette's kind of mocking him too. Oh, yeah. Um, and in that way, this movie kind of also reminded me of kind of a uh, a body horror movie. Yeah. Kind of like Raw. I mean, it, this film does have that moment. Or it even feels like... I like that about certain themed movies is because he's gonna scared of what's happening to him. Yeah, I mean, he's getting the hungers. That's why, like, maybe even some of the cinematography with Man Who Fell to Earth because David Bowie's in the hunger. There's even mm-hmm. some of that shit. I mean, like I said, I even felt like a little bit like this could be also translated as, even though it's not a vampire film, it still has a lot of similarities. Like, they're having these flashbacks and these impulses and urges and, you know, he's having the same experiences, mm, but it's urges. cannibalism. And it has a different meaning. But I like that sequence. I like the scene where David Arquette is playing chess with Knox or somebody. Yeah, and Knox cheats the fuck and out And there's like this, there's a lot of tension because Boyd keeps looking at Ives, Calhoun, Carlisle. Ives is like, whatever, he's reading a book. And he's just like, he closes it. And they fucking all draw their knives out and shit. And Martha, once again, she's quick on that draw. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of these standoffs that happen in this film. That other one where you talked about where Carlisle's revealing to Guy Pierce, He said he's the Wendigo. He's like, fucking, this is how I'm healing. Because they even have that sequence where he wants to see the wound. I fucking shot him. That doesn't work. Now mm-hmm. what, bitch? <laughs> right? And anyway, it's just they have these comedic moments is what I'm getting at. It's like, what are the odds that he's holding the blade to Carlisle and the Martha's like hanging over the top of him? So you get this stacked characters of all, you know, like mm-hmm. a Mexican standoff. Anyway, I just think it's funny these moments that they always have cut in between in serious moments. Then, oh man, so I want to, I'm skipping a little bit again. That's okay. It was the next note I had. And it's something that's always kind of bugged me about this because in the end, Guy Pierce does kind of win through cunning and setting up a trap. He does. So why does he kill Jeffrey Jones just in plain sight of that window just to... I don't know if it's an, he's antagonizing or mocking or maybe even just like, we well, need to do this. But I, I feel like if he wouldn't have done that, then he wouldn't have needed that trap. He could have just like waited for him to walk in the door and slit his throat. Oh yeah, he easily could have got him then. But who knows? It was a cat and mouse. You know, they... It's like, look, we still got I, I know, 10 look, minutes yeah, left to film to, this we movie. Need a, we need a little bit extra here. That's the thing. It was a it was an hour and 40 minute movie. They could have trimmed 10 minutes. And... They could have. They could have trimmed the fat a little bit. But you're right. There is that big reveal we talked about where Jones does come back. And it's like, where the fuck did that come from? Apparently he didn't die. And Carlisle was feeding him the rest of the corpses that were laid out. Like George and probably Toffler and maybe even Reich. Because he was still down there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and now we want you. Well, or you die. The thing I like is that... Uh, Knox, but we're going to get the general in on it. Yeah, yeah. They were they wanted him in on it. There was this big scheme. But a little bit before that, before Knox gets offed, you get Carlisle or Ives is making a stew. Uh, maybe you can contribute later. Yeah. And you get these, like, these... Almost looks like these quick flashes of a character. You don't know who it is. It's like, that's definitely not Ives. Apparently it was, you know... It was Hart who got nursed back to health through cannibalism. He kills Knox. He reveals all that shit to Boyd. They let him in on the scheme that what they want to do with that fort is because it's a big passage through the Nevadas, Sierras, into California, down into Mexico. There's going to be a lot of travelers. They have to stop through. They have to eat if they want to stay in their state. 
They've already got the taste for it. They don't want to break up families. They only want to target specific people, probably like just single people, no-name people, drifters. Oh, see, the way Carlisle delivered that line, I thought he meant that they would just eat the entire family. I mean, that would be cool, too. And not break them up that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's not out of the realms. <laughs> Depends on how far back that family goes. But no, that was the whole point, right, of what Hart and Ives, and they want a boy to succumb to his urges and just fucking join the dark side, bro. Yeah. You know, and he just keeps resisting, man. He's a resistor. He resists up until the end, yeah. which I thought we both found was really funny at the I very end of this movie. I can love again. how hammy it gets. So they end up having their showdown, obviously. Yeah. Again. There was a big showdown, which happens. Pierce and Carlisle, which I also had to make a note of. Like, there's a part where Pierce gets the upper hand by chopping into Carlisle's arm with, with a cleave. A, with a cleave. Yeah. If he just would have, at that point, kept with the cleave, he wins again. But instead, he throws away the cleaver just to pick up a big blunt object to bash him in the head with a couple Yeah, he grabs like like a, uh, Like a big fucking, like, log. A log, yeah, that's what I wrote down, a fucking log. (laughs) What the fuck, He stops and just throws away the cleaver for no reason just to pick up the fucking log. I know, it's like, damn. But that's what I'm getting at with some of these comedic moments, too, is you get that. So they have that big fight... And then they eventually have a tumble, and they're wrestling, and it looks like Boyd has the upper hand, and then they switch, and then if we're talking MMA rules, Ives winds up getting top mount, he winds up shanking him a couple times, and then Boyd's like, oh, fuck, bro, you got me in the back, right? Like, you might have got a liver shot, too. And he crawls off, and I was telling you while you were watching it out in the living room, I was like, dude, this is my favorite fucking part of the movie right here, (laughs) is... It's so fucking hammy. It's so stupid, but and I like how they added the sound effects to it. As as Boyd crawling away, he reaches back and like kind of backhands eyes, yeah. and you're <laughs> like, did they really do that? Was that necessary? But it really succumbs him, and Boyd stands up and knocks like this little I don't know this little post that's holding that Eve together. Oh yeah, and, and it, it collapses onto Ives. But they're wanting to go out, so it's still fucking going. Yeah, it's still fucking going. And eventually, what it leads into, uh, where the trap is set. Literally. Yeah. Where the trap is set. It's a big fucking bear trap. It's a big bear trap. You do see it a little bit in a cut sequence where... Yeah, he's like, oh. Boyd goes in there and sees it, and then he goes back out, it looks like. But, he uh, makes, like, fucking bedroom eyes at it. He's yeah. Like, I don't know, I'm there comes a point, too, later. like, where... Me, you, and that guy are going to have a three-way. What's happening, too, is they're waiting for Slauson, General Slauson, to come with his little posse. He's got two people with him. One of them, I think, is Martha. The other person was that person I was talking to, like the very last person I mentioned in our uh, cast. Yeah, yeah. That secondary actor. That's the only reason why I gave him credit. They're wanting to fucking either eat them or get General Slauson to join them. <laughs> it doesn't work because Martha sees what's going on inside of that bar. <laughs> So what happens is they have that, that bromance moment where Carlyle takes that dagger out of it, Boyd's back and they kind of stare at each other and it's like, oh, should I kiss him? <laughs> but then they kind of like embrace and they fall in the trap and Boyd shoves Carlyle's head into the fucking trap. It sets it off. And then they have a funny exchange. Oh, man. You want to talk about that? I didn't, I didn't write anything down on I it. Can probably I can paraphrase wrote, it. I just wrote that fucking... Carlisle's death takes like five minutes. It's so funny, man. So, all right. Ives, Carlisle, Calhoun, whatever. He's laying there, and he's like, that was 
really sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts to kind of smile a little bit. And oh, yeah. and, and then what happens is... If you die, I'm definitely going to eat yeah, you. He's like, yeah, and he says... The only question is, is if, I it, if I die, what are you going to do? And then during that whole time period, too... You get Slauson, that other guy. Martha's already dipped out because she sees what's happening. She knows there's a Wendigo battle. Uh, she's like, fuck that shit. But as he's well, seeing... No, she waits and she notices that they're in the trap. And when she sees oh, that yeah. they she's... both die, that's when she's, she's like, like, I'm out Fuck this. Yeah, I'm out of this fucking place. Peace. But Slauson finds the stew. And as Carlisle Ives is saying, like, feast or famine, eat or die. Slauson's like, hmm... He starts to nibble at the stew, and then he like says that refrain again. He winds up dying, and then Boyd's just kind of like, "I'm just gonna lay here and die with you, bro." And you're right. So she leaves after she sees that shit. And I like how you don't know what's gonna happen with Slauson because he's eating Knox. Knox is in the stew, right? So he's that's a form of cannibalism. I feel. He only had a little bit of that stew. I feel like it's going to be kind of like when Boyd first got the thirst. Just gets Except like a he doesn't pigeons. know where it came from. Yeah. I feel like he's just going to end up becoming a, like a morbidly obese guy because he's always going to feel hungry. <laughs> yeah. and He's going to eat whatever. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do like that little... It's not a cliffhanger, but it's still kind of like something to think about a little bit. But I do like how the music kicks in too. The music kicks in. You get this vertical pan out. Like the embrace and the bear trap. Mm-hmm. And then it comes to this, the end credits. And I'm like, I started thinking about the film. I was like, man, that was fucking awesome, man. man I like this movie This a lot. movie's so good. They, it's hammy. It's, it still gives you a sense of dread. I still like where you're in the woods and you're being chased. And in this case, the person knows where you're at, but they still leave you there. There's some great chase moments that they do with Carlisle too, yeah. with him so being in a place and then I even like like his and... fidgeting. The... Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, "What is he doing, man? What is going on?" And Toffler's just nothing, just nothing. Can't get anything out of that dude. It's funny. He just uh, wants bourbon, and he licked me. <laughs> right? You get these funny moments, man. At least it wasn't Jeffrey Jones licking him. No, but did you know that Guy Pierce is a vegetarian? I didn't know that. So there are sequences where he's eating the stew, where apparently the chefs or whoever prepared the food on set, it was actually like a lamb stew that they were eating. So he was chewing it, and they said after she called cut, he was spitting it out. Uh-huh. You know? So, I mean, he was going through with what he had to do. Wow. Well, he is a spitter, not a swallower, folks, is what I'm getting at. Not like, what's his name, an old boy who actually, for the art, ate fucking octopi. Yeah. Even though he's also a vegetarian. Yeah, not me. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Not unless they're gummies, which I thought was kind of cool. We talked about raw a little bit. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but a lot of the stuff that they were eating, like flesh-wise, was actually like vegetarian gummy bears and stuff. Oh. Just using food coloring. Nice. Yeah. So all the, that was I just... I want some gummy bears. So. Yeah, it was just like candy. They like they got sick of eating candy, even though it was supposed to be flesh. So I thought it was kind of funny. Well, now that all I'm thinking about is gummy bears, I'm thinking of this time we can wrap up this episode. Yeah. I don't have much else to say about it. No, Ralph like so outside of the fact that I just I really enjoy this film. It's kind of neat to see like this was passed down to a couple of different directors before like it got into the hands of Antonio. That Bird. makes it make more sense to me. I didn't know yeah. that before. 
And knowing that she, uh, well, here's something cool too. I mean, uh, we had mentioned, you know, the fact that she worked with Robert Carlyle. She also worked in television a lot before she even got into doing motion pictures. And uh, so, EastEnders. Yeah, she was. That's a big show. If any of our UK listeners are listening or people familiar with that show, that was a huge show in the '80s. I think they even did like several reincarnations of it. But she was used to stay, like, just people being on set, knowing where to stand and shit. She was like, it was difficult because she literally had to tell people where to stand and where to go because they didn't really know what the fuck they were doing on set. And the whole thing they talked about the film that made it a success is that she likes to kind of coddle her actors. And she's, like, very motherly and nurturing. And they're like, we really like that about her. and made the film flow a lot. And it, you can kind of see it, too. And, like, so the choice for music with Damon Alburn and Michael Nyman and the cinematographer, Anthony B. Richmond. It's like, it this was a all really good, good all-around cast and crew. Definitely worth seeking out. It is on Netflix from time to time. I've watched it, it on there before. It's just not currently. Well, so. If you want a hard copy, I would think it's definitely worth owning. Shell Factory, once again, has released it for Blu-ray. And they have some boss covers on a lot of their uh, releases. But with that... We don't know what we're doing next week. No, we're kind of like, <laughs> we're kind of like just uh, winging it, man. We're I winging like it. it. Uh, I kind of like it. It's kind of like a potluck right now. Yeah, there's still definitely things in the works, but we haven't settled okay. on anything yet. It's a new yet. year. We got plenty of time. So we're going to get to that. We're going to work things out. We'll figure that out in order to keep listening as we voyage off into the unknown. The abyss. I mean, if you're listening to us, you know, you're listening to us on something. Yeah. Keep so doing you can you probably doing. subscribe to us on there. We <laughs> yeah. would very much appreciate that. Yeah. Um, if you're not, out. if you're just like stumbling onto our website or something, there's links at the top of the page. Our website is www.friedsquirms.com. Listen to us on all the major outlets. Yeah, we got Email links us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We like feedback. Uh, Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. Podcast yeah. At Fried Squirms on Twitter. Twitter us. We got Facebook. So and you can we find got us. our Facebook too. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, anywhere where you can find social media, you can find us. Give us a shout out. Give us some recommendations if you have any. And we're not ever really busy enough to not get right back to you guys. Yeah, so we're usually within a click or two, you know, no yeah. big deal. But yeah, we've enjoyed it. did want to give a couple of shout outs to, I did want to mention Wind Up Dead because of Marquand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wind Up Dead, all right. Well, what I want to say is uh, their music videos, they've released a couple, do really good. I like a lot of their tracks. Nice. I do want to mention that. I want to bump them a little bit. They're worth listening to. So shout out to you guys. But uh, yeah, I enjoy the fact that we're still pumping them out and looking forward to more. Yeah, so next week will be something we don't Another know yet. surprise. Hopefully it'll be fun. It will. I mean, it's going to be fun for us. Hopefully it's fun for you guys. Hell yeah. Anyway, fried squirms. Out. out.